So the outcomes from the system are then wrapped by rhythms and accountability. And from this point forward, the leader of the business needs, needs to beat the drum and never stop. Hello and welcome to the Remarkable CEO Podcast, a show dedicated to chiropractors who want to transform their job into a business so that they can have a remarkable practice as part of a remarkable life, not instead of one. With your hosts, Dr. Pete Camiolo and Dr. Stephen Franzen. What's up, Remarkables? Hey, it's Dr. Stephen Franson. Welcome to another episode of the Remarkable CEO Podcast. I'm excited to have a conversation with my friend, Rick Sapio, who I will probably call Dr. Rick Sapio at some point. Rick, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, Dr. Stephen. Great to be here. I'm hey, man, you no introduction, but I'd love to, you know, let's force the function here. For those people who have been living under a rock and don't recognize the name, why don't you give us a little bit of a backstory who you are, what you do in business, and more importantly, what's the overlap between you, your business expertise, and chiropractic? Many of you may know me as a partner with Patrick Gentempo, Cairo Business Finishing School, which ultimately became Business Finishing School. And more than a thousand people related to the Cairo industry attended our events over the years. And that was born out of us attempting to teach chiropractic business principles and their universal business principles. So I started a investment holding company 30 years ago. We've made far north of 100 investments. We've also launched eight private equity funds in total. And we've been through a large number of transactions. And uh, as a result of us looking for investments, what we realized is we were only investing in one out of 500 companies we looked at. So we were wasting a lot of time. And so we thought, what could we do to make companies more investable? So we came up with the 12 foundational principles of business, which helps companies become more attractive to outside capital and also easier to sell, which I know is really important to the listeners. Uh, my background is uh, born and raised in North Jersey, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship from a public high school to go to Rutgers University, got an engineering degree. And fortunately at that time in the eighties, Wall Street was hiring engineers. So I was fortunate enough to get a job on Wall Street and start my company when I was 30. That's the backstory, but I really just wanna dive into this topic because it is near and dear to your heart, your listener's heart and my heart. That's right, Rick, if I could, let me just jump in because I want to create just a little bit of context um, because, you know, well, what does that have to do with chiropractic and chiropractors and our remarkable CEOs that are listening right now? Listen, it has everything to do with it, <laughs> right? So we all know the expression begin with the end in mind, right? So as we're in the throes of, you know, this exit conversation, you know, we have our remarkable exit program that we've brought to chiropractic. So there's been a lot of energy, a lot of interest, a lot of conversation around the exit process. And what does that mean for chiropractors? Historically, that's just been a tragic situation in chiropractic. Like chiropractors, by and large, have just not historically exited well. So, you know, as we know, there's this pig in the python effect going on in chiropractic right now with the combination of the aging baby boomers getting ready to transition out of practice, the 
COVID hangover that a lot of people are limping out of that last three years. And then this, you know, the threat of the economic uncertainty that sort of created this perfect storm of more and more doctors are transitioning out of practice. So what used to, we used to see a thousand practices per year transitioning out in the United States, that's 2X to 2000, which means Rick, we're going to see about 10,000 practices trying to transition in the next five to 10 years, which is incredible, right? So, and we want to help them have a soft landing and do this well, right? So, you know, you and I, uh, we know each other through, you know, that's how I originally met you was through my association with the Ultimate Achievers Club. You'd come and speak business finishing school, our friendship through or mutual friendship through Patch and Tempo, you know, so just getting into these business conversations with you, I love the fact that you can bring these what would be considered fundamental business principles that, you know, for by and large, you know, sort of skipped over the chiropractic industries. So most chiropractors that you know and love and have a great deal of respect for, you recognize their challenges, they're brilliant clinicians, but hopeless business people, right? So what we're doing is we're bringing these, what would again be fundamental business principles to light, to bear in the chiropractic industry, which of course gets us back to this exit conversation, which is build it to sell it. So as much as your organization specializes in businesses that are north of 30 million, and I believe you're now north of 50 million to even be considered to work with you, we're bringing a lot of this, some of the principles that just apply to whatever size business you are, right? So I love these constructs that you create. I'm the systems guy, and I know you love these structures and frameworks so, you know, I've asked you to have this conversation with our CEOs, and I know that it's going to be rich for them. And that's, you know, contextually so much value for them. Yep. Awesome. I love everything you said. Now, the easiest way to sell a company is to have a company that's attractive to buyers. And this talk, the blueprint is what it's called, is about making your company more attractive to buyers. So I'm not even going to mention exits. I want to start with a photo here. For those that are watching, there's going to be a lot of slides here, but this is a photo of a guy named Dean Kamen, and Dean Kamen is one of the most prolific inventors that has ever lived. I think he has more than 2,000 patents. Uh, he invented the Segway. He has invented a lot of medical devices, mainly in the kidney world, but the guy is incredibly pro prolific, and the reason I show him here is because... I believe that fundamentally as a race, uh, a race of human beings, we've shifted in the last 10 years and no one's talking about it. We've shifted exponentially the last 10 years, but I would say since the industrial Rev revolution from a society made up of people that create the majority of their day, they're making things, they're being creative, they're being entrepreneurial to now consuming. Our life is predominantly about consuming. And if you want to see how bad it is, watch teenagers. They spend about 11 hours a day consuming content, social media, news, Netflix, TV shows, et cetera, et cetera. And Dean Kamen, there's a famous story about him uh, where uh, he was in a board meeting relatively recently. And before the meeting started, somebody, the, the whole group was talking about something that Madonna had done. And after listening to it for five minutes, he says, time out, time out. Who, who, who the hell is Madonna? And I love that story because he's so committed to his craft and his purpose. He has no interest in pop culture. And so many of us are wasting our lives away by consuming. So this talk is about 
creating. And the reason why my four kids, which are now 9, 11, 13, and 15, uh, do not have a TV, do not have cell phones, do not have computers, is because I want them creating, not consuming. Now, my friends say, yeah, but when they turn 18 and they get out of the house, they're going to do that. Great. But hopefully their habits are set by that point. That's right. Absolutely. So the name of the talk is The Blueprint. I'm going to start with a decision-making lens. And what this talk is about is about adding consciousness to all business and life actions. Charles Duhigg said 98% of what humans do is habitual. There's no thinking. There's no consciousness. He wrote the book, The Power of Habit. And that's sad that literally an email comes in and you habitually, like a trained rabbit or monkey, have to read it. We don't put things in their proper places. Our cell phone is on us constantly. So this whole talk is about adding consciousness. And the first thing is I want to share our values that we use inside our company to make decisions. I also use these, this inside my family. So the first one is simplicity that speaks for itself. The second one is probability. Probability means, as a value, making high probable highly probabilistic decisions to achieve a certain outcome. And what I mean by that is, oftentimes in business, we're just making decisions. Let's try a Facebook campaign. Let's hire this consultant with, with very low probability outcomes that they're going to achieve the desired result. And so as an example of that in my personal life, I've always told my kids, when you're 18, we want you to be independent, entrepreneurial, God-fearing, hardworking. And so my wife and I have always made decisions around that, which is one of the reasons why we don't drive them around to sporting events and all that crap that a lot of people get caught up in, not to judge them, but we have oriented our kids' lives around the, those things that I mentioned. So as an example, our high school kid, uh, our oldest, goes to uh, an entrepreneurial boarding school uh, 600 miles away in high school. And that's the decision that he came up with on his own because he said, Dad, you want me to be independent, entrepreneurial, God-fearing, and hardworking. Well, I'm not going to get that out of the school that I'm in, even though he was at a top private school. So if you extend that to business, making highly probable decisions, if you want to exit your business, you should not hire your out of work brother-in-law who is drunk half the time. And I see that all the time. They're, they're, we're making low probability hires. We're bringing on low probability partners. We're hiring low pr probability vendors. You get the point. The next yes. value is leverage. Leverage is really important we should be making decisions that are leveraging existing infrastructure, existing technology, existing business strategy, existing relationships, not these one-off decisions that hurt us that are, again, low probability. And then the last thing is permanence. Permanence as a value is this. Imagine that every decision you made was going to be a permanent decision. And where I learned this is I went, uh, I interviewed over 40 billionaires now, but years ago, I spent time with Herb Kelleher, who founded uh, Southwest Airlines. And he said, it took us four years to create the business plan and strategize around it and beat it up. And all we did was talk before we flew our first flight. We wanted a permanent business strategy. Now, he said publicly many times, I know when I die, the business strategy is going to go to hell in a handbasket, which it has. But 
my wife and I, in our family, we have a permanent uh, decision-making lens, which we call the family placemat. But inside our company, we have permanence. One weird example is when I started the company 30 years ago, I wanted a permanent home. So I, I signed a lease in a building that I knew I would never want to leave. It's got four gyms. It's, got, it's attached to a hotel. It's got 15 restaurants in it, yada, yada, yada. And I've now been in the same building 30 years. But when you make permanent decisions on your values, on key partners, on your strategy, it just completely eliminates a whole lot of stress. And Steve, I could see you chomping at the bit. <laughs> no, no it's just like all four of those I've got a commentary on, but I love the flow and I don't, inter I don't want to inter interrupt it, but what a unique perspective because it's a lens. And, you know, when you feel the weight of saying, I'm making decisions not haphazardly, which are, which is expensive time, energy, focus, and money every time when you're making decisions like that, like, Oh, we'll just change it later. Uh, permanence is, I mean, this is, this is a unique perspective, Rick. It's, you know, to, in today's sort of throwaway society that translates all the way down into how people make decisions with their business, the people they hire, everything feels super temporary. So I, I think this is incredibly refreshing. Thank you. And it, it, there is a line in the sand. I mean, we've got all these people chasing AI now, and there is a line in the sand. When I meet very successful business people, they may not say these values out loud, but they live these values because you almost have to. When Patrick and I were teaching on stage years ago, we would always say, what we're teaching is not the latest fad. These are universal business principles that stand the test of time. So we never talked about marketing or software. It was always things like this. So I'm going to introduce you now to the Mutual Capital Alliance business frame. It's six steps for how to think about your business, but we're building something here. So don't forget the lens to make decisions from. This is now the frame. So the lens is the base of the foundation. So the first thing is you have to have four or five word purpose statement, why you exist. And people get so caught up in purpose and they come out with these outlandish things. Your purpose is something really simple. Our company's purpose is to inspire entrepreneurship, which happens to be my personal purpose. That's it. It's three words to inspire entrepreneurship. And to me, an entrepreneur is anyone who decides to take full responsibility for outcomes. So then you take your purpose statement. And if you want to go uh, Google this, I did a TED talk on the next line, which is the second step, which is you have to have, in my opinion, a catalyzing statement. And a catalyzing statement is the end all of the purpose. So to use an example, I put a, a reminder up here. JFK, when he inherited the space program back in 1960, the purpose was to beat the Soviets in the space race. So that was the purpose of it. But the catalyzing statement that catalyzed massive human activity and ingenuity and arguably uh, one of the biggest explosions of creativity globally in history was we are going to send a man to the moon and return him safely to Earth by the end of the decade. There are companies that have come up with catalyzing statements that are that powerful. A computer on every desktop. Uh, Bill Gates says if it wasn't for that phrase, they wouldn't have gotten 25,000 engineers to you know, beat down their door to work there. We build the safest cars in the world. Years ago, when Volvo was focused on that catalyzing statement, 
if 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 a woman got pregnant and she wanted a car, it was I got to have a Volvo. When it absolutely positively has to be there overnight, that's what put FedEx on the map. And you know, it's funny, Steve, and very few companies will take the time to think through the phrase that is their catalyzing statement. And for me personally, I envision a world with an entrepreneur in every home. That's what drives me. I want people to get this stuff. And, you know, the world would be a hell of a lot better place if that was the catalyzing statement, if that catalyzing statement came true. So the next one, once you got your purpose and your catalyzing statement, now what are your values? You have to have values from which to make decisions, both personally and business. And, yeah, everybody gives this lip service. I'm going to make a phrase that I will, I can back up. I just don't have time to do it here. The companies that take this seriously, that put their values on the wall and follow them, are companies that you've heard of. Companies like these two uh, young guys named Steve and Steve, with zero business experience, built a company that is now worth $3 trillion. It's called Apple. And Apple has a, a set of values that they live by. I mentioned Southwest Airlines, but every single massive company that you know started because they aligned around a set of values and they made decisions on those values. Now, why the heck don't small companies take this seriously? It really is, it's like a magic bullet. If you want a magic bullet, there it is. Rick, I'll tell you the, uh, if if you let me take a pass at that, if you go back that one step, one slide, click that back for me. These small businesses do that, that are followers here uh, because you're absolutely aligned with, you know, our, we approach this, what you're describing as the the DNA of every successful business, regardless of size, right? So every big business started as a small business and you'll never become a big business if you're not doing the things that you're describing. And it's the unsexy foundational groundwork that, that people, like you said, pay lip service to, or they roll their eyes and be like, are we really talking about mission, vision, purpose, core values? It's like, yes, <laughs> yes, because you're skipping it, right? So in the remarkable practice, our purpose is to restore health, three words. Uh, and we restore health of humanity through our clients, but we restore the health of the clients by restoring the health of the chiropractic business, the chiropractic teams, and the chiropractors, meaning their themselves, their families, their marriages, right? So our premise is to create a remarkable practice as part of a remarkable life, not instead of one. That's restoring health. Our catalyzing statement is 1 million active patients under the care of 4,000 remarkable practice practitioners around the world. So that's a million active patients. That's 4,000 docs taking care of on average 250 active patients. So our catalyzing statement is 1 million active patients under care in a TRP doctor's office. And our values are mission-driven, servant-hearted, innovative, and you know it, remarkable. I love it. All right. Well, you're living proof that this works. Thank you for that segue. I love it. Hey, Remarkables, do you know where your next 100 new patients are coming from? Have you developed a fully leveraged marketing machine where you have total confidence that you'll predictably smash your goals month after month after month? What would it mean to your practice if you were to consistently see an additional 15, 20, 25 or more additional qualified new patient leads coming into your practice every month? CEOs, make this your reality. Join us for the annual Remarkable Attraction Marketing Immersion, 
October 6th and 7th in Phoenix, Arizona, and October 27th and 28th in Adelaide, Australia. Click the link in the show notes below and register your team now. Stop leaving tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table due to lackluster internal new patient referrals. Stop wasting time and spinning your wheels trying to figure out how to get butts and seats for your outside speaking events. Stop throwing good money after bad on digital marketing that's just not working. Doc, you should be seeing a five times to 10 times ROI on your marketing dollars. Our clients are crushing this. The weekend will feature a three-track format focusing on internal, external, and digital lead generation. Bring your team. Everyone in your practice is a marketer. Let us inspire and equip them to help you fill your schedule book with more qualified new patients. October 6th and 7th in Phoenix, October 27th and 28th in Adelaide. Click the link in the show notes here or go to the remarkablepractice.com events page and register your team today. We'll see you in October. So now we're moving to step four, and this one's a little bit trickier for people. This word strategy is so incredibly important, and nobody knows what the hell it means. What is your business strategy? And what we've done here is we've boiled it down to three things, and I'll use an example that everybody knows. But the reality is I did a class at Harvard, and I teach a class every year for the last 20 years at MIT around strategy. And this Harvard professor came up to me and he said, you just in five minutes taught what it takes our students two years to get. <laughs> and the reason is they don't they don't really get what business strategy is. Someone has laid out for you. And I'm sorry about my throat. I just took a cough drop. So I hope I'm speaking clearly. You sound like a guy that just got back from Italy with his family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what does real business strategy to me mean? It means what? who and how and if you think about really successful companies when they start they know what business they're in in one line who their ideal customer is not a uh, avatar but like who is that customer you could even think about your ideal customer in your practice what's what who's your ideal customer well it's it's cindy and the reason it's cindy is she's 35 her husband works she's got six kids she loves bringing her kids and she's our biggest referrer. So you want to know both the person and the avatar and then how, how do you deliver your product and service and how do you market? So let me give you an example that answers this really clear. There's a famous Business Week cover from 1998-ish of Jeff Bezos with his pockets inside out. And it says, Amazon heading toward bankruptcy. And when you read the story in Business Week, it said that, you know, Jeff Bezos is thick-headed. He won't change his strategy, and it's killing him. And what they didn't realize was the flywheel was just starting to spin really fast, and he knew exactly what he was doing. So let's look at Amazon as an example of this, Stephen. When they asked Bezos, what business are you in, what was his answer? Three words. I'm going to guess logistics. We sell books. <laughs> that's what we do we sell books now he always said once we get that flywheel spinning really fast we'll add on other things but if you remember at the beginning they just sold books why because they were cheaper to ship back then it was like a quarter and they were easy to store who do you sell books to jeff this was the weird thing when he started that company 
less than 5% of the world had an internet connection. And if they did have one, it was really slow. So what do you remember about Amazon? Everyone said they can't compete with brick and mortar. They're never going to compete with Barnes and Noble, like all this crap that everybody talked about for the first 10 years. And he knew exactly what he's doing. So the what was we sell books, the who, which is the second part of strategy, is people with an internet connection. And they said, you're insane. That mark is too small. But he knew if he could own that, th those early adopters, right? And this isn't really about Jeff and the internet. It's more about you. What business are you in exactly? Who is your ideal customer? And then three, how do you deliver your product or service? For Jeff Bezos, how he delivered it was fourth-rate mail. That's That was their model. He knew that that was less expensive. And how do you market? We market on the internet. So every company needs to know their strategy. What business are we in? Who is our ideal customer? How do we deliver our product or service? And how do we market to them? And everybody, when I go to them with this thing, they go, well, it's not that simple. Well, well, well. No, it is that simple. And I've yet to find the business where I can't come up with this. It's, are you willing to do the work? Because once you know this, you can begin to get that flywheel spinning, and then you could expand into other things, just like, just like Amazon did. So I hope this is clear. Um, the next thing is, you know, you've got you've got your values laid out. You've got your purpose catalyzing statement strategy. Now, what are your long term objectives? Think twenty years from now, and you might say, "I'm selling my company in three years." It doesn't matter. If you have a long-term vision, somebody's going to own that company. And Jack Welch said it best. He did have an unbelievable track record when he ran General Electric. And he would say to companies that they acquired, I want to know what your quarterly objectives are. And I want to know what your 20-year objectives are. Because if you're clear on both of those, the middle takes care of itself. I right. cannot agree with something more. So you got to have clear long-term objectives. And you have to have clear quarterly objectives. Crystal clear every quarter here's the company's objectives here's the employee's objectives and then everything that i just laid out has to have very specific activities for each one so you could update this on a on a monthly or quarterly basis so that's the business frame the faster you can put all this on the ground by using trust okay you, you lay this out as a team and you, you have team members that trust the vision and have the discipline to make decisions around this. And of course, you got to execute and using what you're learning in the remarkable practice to execute is going to get you to the promised land faster. Now, there's a slide that has a blank. It says the faster you get to what, the better off you and everyone involved in your company will be. So I'm going to challenge your fearless leader here. What do you think the blank is, Stephen? The faster you get to blank, the better off you and everyone involved your company will be. What's the difference culturally between a really well-run company and a horribly run company? What's the employee experience? Alignment. Alignment's a good one. But this is kind of a trick word. This is a word that uh, actually Herb Kelleher used. He said, I want everybody to know what their job is. I want everybody to know what the goals are. I want monotony. And that's kind of a trick word. But 
the reality is most small companies are not monotony. You got the founder running around like a chicken with a head cut off. You got employees not knowing what to do. But when you can get a company to the point of monotony, and um, one of the companies we own, I was on a call just last week, and I realized on this monthly management call that we reached monotony. And I loved it. Like every everything was clicking. So all right. Rick, now I'm chomping at the bit because I'm going to quote another one of our mutual friends. And I'm so glad you've just given me that word. You've given me this quote. I'm going to steal this immediately, by the way. The best businesses in the world are boring. And, and that's our friend, Dr. Alan Miner, who says that. He's like, the best businesses in the world are boring. And I always say, you know, let your life be sexy and exciting. You know, I don't want surprises in my business. Surprises are for birthdays and Christmas morning. I want businesses that are boring. Yawn. Oh, we just grew another 15, 20, 25 percent. You know, it's like I want it boring. I don't want exciting businesses. I want boring businesses. Now I'm going to say the faster you get to monotony, the better off you'll be. That's great. Everyone in your company, too. So the, the other thing that plays along with all this is I think there's five ways to pay employees to create longevity. And you want longevity. That's another aspect of monotony and boring. You know, when employees leave, when you have to replace people, you have to find someone. It's a really tough market out there, ladies and gentlemen. I, I've never seen anything like it. And when you hire somebody, they're so distracted with electronics and all the different uh, interests people have now, both normal interests and perverted interests. It's, the world's gone bizarro. But if you can you know, embrace these five ways to pay people, I think you'll have more longevity. Number one is a base salary. I don't like paying people hourly. I know in chiropractic they do. I think when you have hourly employees, they're always looking over the shoulder for a better job or a better hourly pay. I think that everyone in the company should have some type of individual bonus based on them personally achieving quarterly objectives, five quarterly objectives that are aligned with the company's five objectives. I believe that everyone should get a fixed company-wide bonus to get everybody rowing the boat in the same direction. So an example could be at the end of the quarter, if the company achieves its five goals, everybody gets a thousand bucks and I'm taking everybody to dinner at the nicest restaurant in town. That gets people, you know, creating more team. Hey, you know, pull your weight, Sarah. Uh, so you get the point. And then they should pay benefits. We use a PEO for full benefits, because again, you don't want them going home to their spouse complaining that there's no benefits. And then lastly, some type of long-term reward. It could be an insurance plan where they get, you, you pay for a life insurance policy and they get the cash value in 10 years. Could be a percentage of the company when it gets sold. Like we want to sell the company in five years. We'll give you 3% of the exit price but something long-term that's a carrot for them to stay. So these hey, Rick, are- We double click on that benefits one because it, I think that's a bit of a black eye that chiropractic has a long, we've limped along in this category for a long time. And this new job market is just so incredibly competitive and demanding. Chiropractors have historically sort of said, you know, when it comes to benefits, it's like benefits, health benefits. Yeah, you get unlimited chiropractic care, wink, wink. And it's kind of this- flippant response to a real question from people that are considering, you know, their options in the marketplace. Can you speak to the benefits? And, you know, you talked yeah. about using a, a PEO, a professional employee, uh, employee organization. 
30 years ago, we realized this was going to be a problem when we were founded. So there was this fledgling industry, which is now massive. There's probably, I'm going to say something like 20 million Americans of private companies that work underneath a PEO. What a PEO is, uh, we use Trinet, they're publicly traded, is they handle all the administration of the salary, of the payroll, and the benefits. So our employees get a, an IBM-like medical package, dental, 401k, all of that stuff. And it's all online, so you don't have to mess with it. And so the employees, when they have issues, they go to the PEO. And what it means is they the employees are under the umbrella of a massive company, so you get much better rates on you know, your 401k and your IRA and your, uh, not your IRA, your medical benefits. And they're administering it. So if they have benefit questions or they, you know, what doctor can I see? They go to them. But the best thing about a PEO is it's not that expensive. Yeah. It Yes, it adds to your payroll expense, but relative to you trying to put, you know, hiring a payroll clerk and getting benefits and getting a 401k, it's way more expensive if you do it on your own. So a lot of people don't even know what the hell a PEO is. Right. Yep. So I've been advocating for 30 years for people to do this. And so here's where it first came in handy. Around 1996, I'm going to say, right after I started my company, a couple of years after, I hired this employee who happened to be a complete fraud. And he sued our company. And I'm like, I was terrified at first because he was like 60 years old. He filed an age discrimination case, but he was a professional sewer. And it was great. I called the PEO. They got their high-powered attorney on the phone with him, and it was dismissed in five minutes. That's right. But I mean, how many times are in this job market are small companies putting themselves at risk for a lawsuit like that? Could be a sexual harassment if you get filed a sexual harassment suit, it's 100% going to go against you because the employee has all the power. There's also certain states that are 100% against, you know, small private companies, which is really ironic. I don't know. This kind of made me sick it's to bizarre. my son. Yeah. My wife had to get uh, a permit for my son. She went to the Division of Motor Vehicles, and she was horrified at the level of service and just the pathetic nature of the employees there. And what she found out in doing a little bit of research, they make about 50% more than a private company employee would, and they get lifetime benefits. Right Now, we've set up a system in our country to pay government employees far more than private company employees, and we've set it up so they can get sued a hell of a lot more. It's a really, really backward system. Yeah. Don't get yeah. me started. No, it's great. No, I really wanted to, to double click on that because ultimately it's an example of how a small business can let use leverage, right? So you should always be looking for leverage. How do I invest my money to buy back my time, energy and focus, right? So there's an example of like, instead of bringing in somebody as an employee or even a fractional HR person or what have you, it's like, this is a way to leverage a PEO in a, in a way that you create a layer of protection. You're, you're just getting it off of your desk and out of your office, but it's getting done at an, and, it, and it's done at a higher level and a much, much more sophisticated level. And I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for an opportunity where I can just strike a check and buy back my bandwidth, right? So I just want them, I want to get the mental overhead off of me. And here's an example of like an incredibly complex and sophisticated area of business that typically just goes ignored 
and it's a point of exposure, uh, you know, to these uh, small business owners. Yeah. And it's worth double clicking on that. It's so important. And, you know, I've, I've talked about it for years, not too many people. So people go and they hire uh, ADP. Yeah. They handle, they handle your payroll, payroll. but you <laughs> right. want the whole thing from the yeah. risk to the benefits to the 401k offloaded. That's right. And the thing that we do in our 401k too, which is something that any one of you guys can do is when they, when they invest in their 401k, we match up to 3% of their salary. So it's another benefit. And it's not that much. If somebody makes a hundred grand a year, they're getting an extra 3000. So they're looking upon you favorably. So that's what we do. And you know what people are telling themselves right now? There's a limiting belief. You can hear it right now. Like, listen, can you hear the chiropractor saying to themselves like, yeah, guys, you, you know, it'd be, it must be nice to have the kind of money that it takes to do these types of programs. I can't afford to do that. Just hold on, time out, spend the money you're going to lose, right? Because you and I both know that, you know, when you, when you, when you're trying to bring in and build a team of a players, if you hire the wrong person, top grading says it's going to cost you three times their salary a year. That yep. that's an ouch. Right. But if you lose the right person, if you lose an A player, it's going to cost you five times their salary a year. That's a giant ouch. Right. So it's like you, um, you got to recognize spend the money you're going to lose is, is a philosophy. Right? This is an example. Yeah. It's a perfect place of like, listen, get on the front end of this, reduce your, your risk, increase your peace of mind, free up your time, use the money. What's expensive is when you're losing great people and turning over people. That's a time suck. The, yeah. the 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 brain damage that comes with losing great people, especially if it's a key player and you lose momentum, right? So all of that is wicked expensive. This is cheap. I agree hundred percent. The container store kind of proved that out. Their their uh, internal kind of catalyzing statement is: we hire people that do the work of three people, and they're just really careful on who they hire. And when they hire somebody, they offer them just what I'm telling here: these five. Uh, ways to comp them and they stay for a long time. That's so right. great people stay for a long time, easier to manage. But here's another thing that wasn't part of the presentation, but I want to state it. We have a company that has a, uh, we're a holding company. We own a company that has a relatively expensive product and I hired a consultant and we were complaining about expenses and he goes, well, why don't you double your prices? And I, I, I would say this to chiropractors all the time. And People would freak out. We can't double. No, there's no way. So I listened to the guy. We doubled our prices. We didn't lose a single customer. The revenue doubled overnight. And guess what? We had more money to pay people. So a lot of the griping that you hear that, that the chiropractors aren't making enough money, I, from my perspective, having spent time with many of you, is you don't charge enough. Because a lot of them, for whatever reason, I don't know if it happens in school, but they train them to have a scarcity mentality. I don't get it. Yeah. And the thing that's interesting when I meet really successful chiropractors is they have an abundant mentality. So right. I don't know how you, you could switch overnight, but one way- no, is we, that, we address it here. Uh, the rule of thumb here is th they now know that you could increase your prices by 15%, 65% of your patients would not even notice. Never mind, you know, there's, they think it's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth. 65% of people wouldn't even notice a 15% bump. And I love yeah. the study that says, if you looked at your pricing right now, 20% of your patients would tolerate you doing having a product offering that was four times what you are charging right now. 
and 4% of people would pay 16 times what you're offering right now. And 1% of people would pay 64 times what you're offering right now. So think about that, Rick. I mean, how much money are we leave? Are we leaving on the table? It's like, what do you have in place where you have an offering where you could charge four times, 16 times, or 64 times? It's a great thought exercise. And it frees everybody of that limiting belief of, oh, I could never increase my prices. Do you have that study? I'd love to see it. Yeah, I'll send send that over to you. Yeah, Yeah, please make a note of that. And it's funny. What's interesting is, you know, uh, property and casualty insurance has gone up. Unbelievable. People still write the check. Well, I need insurance. How about your electric bill? Yesterday, my wife looked at me. Our electric bill this month was 1100 bucks. This time yep. last year, it was 600. That's still wicked expensive, right? So we're, we run businesses out of our home, but still it went from 600 to 1100 month, year over year, same month. That's just off the charts. Guess what we did? You paid we it. We paid it. <laughs> just like <laughs> your, uh, your, your dish network or whatever the hell that the cable network stuff. People don't mind paying that. And they yep, don't mind paying Apple a shitload of money. <laughs> but for some reason, they have a problem asking customers and clients and patients to pay more for their health. Yeah. My so, rule is don't don't confuse a complaint for an objection. <laughs> yeah, I like that. So the outcomes from this system are then wrapped by rhythms and accountability. And from this point forward, the leader of the business needs needs to beat the drum and never stop. When you hear people, I know he's passed, but Steve Jobs people like that, or anybody, quite honestly, that's really successful. They, they're very repetitive. They say the same things over and over and over and over again. They're beating the drum on their brand. They're beating the drum on their value prop. They're be- beating the drum on their values. And that's what you want to be. It's almost like you're bored, boring. You know, if you think about it, when you go to a, a, a fine restaurant, the waiter that comes to your table and announces the, the, the specials, they they're repeating the same thing over and over and over again. It might be 50 times in a night, but that's how successful business leaders need to be. You need to be really good at delivering your offering. You know, you can't see my screen, some of you, but all business decisions are first run through this frame and decision-making lens before finalizing. And imagine if every decision you made, you mapped against what Stephen and I have been talking about here. Successful businesses have patterns to follow. Um, I've had uh, a part of this group called YPO and another group called EO. And what's so interesting about these groups is they bring in a new president every year. And it, it just boggles my mind. You take a successful organization and a new president every year wants to change everything. And I think it's just human nature. I want to do it my way as opposed to We'll give a plug to Alan Miner, Alan Miner's way, which is the boring way. Let's just keep doing what's working. And why do we have to change anything? So I guess my point is, once you put all the things in place, including potentially new pricing, you just you just keep everything the same. The goal should be to build a growing, profitable, sustainable, enduring, saleable company. And when you do that, everybody wins. Human beings, as you know, because you're in health, they crave rhythms and heartbeats. And I think <laughs> I think some leaders are just afraid to have systematic, repetitive things, which which is what humans crave. And here's the interesting, Stephen. The best humans crave that. The people that cause you the most heartache 
are the ones that you shouldn't have in your life anyway. Cairo Matchmakers will help you find the right person for the job. If you're looking to hire the ideal chiropractic assistant, Cairo Matchmakers will help you find the specific person missing from your team so that you can get back to using your talents to serve more people. Or if you're looking to hire the ideal associate doctor, CMM can help. Cairo Matchmakers helps chiropractors like you find the ideal associate doctor to unlock your practice potential and get you the freedom that you desire. To learn more, go to chiromatchmakers.com. Please stick around for more business insights from this week's bonus interview with our remarkable success partner dedicated to helping you more successfully help more people. Enjoy. Hey, CEOs. So today I am honored to be in the studio with Richard Sawyer from Spinalogic, uh, a remarkable chiropractor and CEO of a business that's actually making a huge difference in helping us make a bigger difference in our patients' lives. You guys are going to love learning from Richard today. He is a practitioner. He is a multiple business owner here in our space. So I can't think of a better person to have on a CEO podcast than on a fellow CEO, an innovator in our space, somebody who likes problem solving, saw some problems <laughs> in his office, which actually tended to turns out to be a problem in many of our offices. And he's come up with a solution to help solve that for all of us. So Doc, thanks for taking the time to meet with me here today and be a part of our podcast. I know our audience is going to learn a lot from you and just gain a ton of value from you. So uh, thanks for taking the time. And uh, why don't you introduce yourself, who you are, where you're at, what what are you up to these days? And then we're going to dig in a bit. Uh, hey, Dr. Pete, look, it's great to be with you today. Thank you very much. Um, I'm here in sunny, sunny Brisbane in, in Queensland. It's a beautiful morning uh, up here in the trees with the birds. So I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation with you. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for being in this uh, conversation. And a lot of times people have a backdrop that's, uh, you know, virtual. You've got the real deal. So you, you, get, <laughs> you get a lot of credit there. That's that's uh, set yeah. us up real well. If you're if you're listening to this only, then you're not seeing it. But if you're on YouTube or on uh, Instagram or wherever else you might be consuming this, you'll see uh, you'll see Richard and his awesome backdrop. So, uh, no. So I want to ask you a question. So you've been a success yeah, partner man. now for a couple of years with TRP, yep. one of our platinum partners. And um, you know, that's a bit, it's a big deal for us. You know, anybody who partners with our organization, we are aligned with you. We're saying, Hey, mm. we share values. We're in alignment. Mm. We're on a mission to help more people. So I want you to talk a little bit about the Genesis story for you and really how spinal logic really was birthed actually came out of a painful place, came out of a recognizing yep. that there was an issue, a challenge, a real challenge in, yep. uh, in a very successful practice. So take us back to the beginning and where kind of things began, uh, because again, you're problem solving now for chiropractors around the world. Uh, but tell us a little bit about where it all started. Yes. Yeah, so look, um, it started when, when I was, uh, I was in practice one day, all of a sudden I had this epiphany. I was there, we're seeing about, a, about 600 a week. I had like seven or eight staff working for me and I was busy adjusting and I was, and I was, uh, I looked up and I looked around and I was like, Man, everyone's so so busy. I, I wonder what they're all doing. And I realized I didn't really have much of an idea of what they're actually spending their time on. I thought, I, I need to find out. And so I'd ask them. And of course, they would tell me, but they didn't really have that very good an idea. And what I really wanted to do was to quantify it. So I knew how much time were they spending on the things I wanted them spending time on and how much it was it on administrative tasks. It was like low level sort of stuff and how much of it was on the higher consciousness stuff where we wanted them to be talking tick to our patients. So we, I decided it was time to do an experiment. 
So we, we got it, made a spreadsheet for, for everybody at, 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 at each, of their, each of their locations. We set a big timer up in the middle of the office and went off every 10 minutes. So we go beep, beep. And all the patients would be like, what's that? And all the stuff, like, oh, yeah, that's Dr. Richard. We're, we're doing an experiment. It's like, oh, okay, of course. They weren't, they weren't surprised. <laughs> and so what I, what I had them do is every 10 minutes, I had every, every team member write down what was it they spent the, the, last, the, the bulk of the last 10 minutes, what did they spend, spend it doing? And then we added, you did that across the course of an entire week. And at the end of the week, we had a lot of data points. We added it all up. We broke it down into categories. And we, and we looked at the different things that I was spending time on and, and divided it in really into those like higher conscious activities and the lower conscious activities and more admin, admin versus like talking tick and connecting with patients. And it turned out in, in some of the locations, uh, it was like 90, 90, 10, 90% admin and 10% actual talking, you know, connecting with the patients. Other places more 50, 50, but averaged out across the practice. We were about 70, 30, about 70% of, of my team's time was being spent on administrative stuff. And only 30% was actually being spent connecting with the patients from the heart on the things that we really wanted to be spending their time on. I guess you could say it was like, it was completely inverted from the way that I, I imagined and I wanted it to be. And so that was, that was really the genesis of when, when Spinalogic started, I thought, We've got, to, we've got to automate away these, these administrative tasks, the things that computers can do better, but they can do better than people can do anyway. So if we can get the computers doing that, then we can leave the people focused on the things that we want them to do. And so we started, we started working on the, on the big ones, uh, and then we worked our way through the list until we pretty much automated all of the, all of the, uh, the administrative tasks to, at, at this time. And we can now, now I, can, I can say very confidently that it's the exact opposite way around in our practice. It's at least 70, 30 in favor of doing the high-level action steps instead of low-level action steps. Wow. Go ahead. I was just going to say, in the process of doing that, our, our, our staff count went down from seven, sort of eight, depending how you count it, down to, down to three to four, seeing the same volume, but people working less hard and um, delivering better, better quality and standard of care. So, I mean, I just think about that. I, I... When you, when you were talking, it actually hit me in a slightly different way. And I was thinking, okay, imagine one person in your office, you know, 70% of the time doing administrative, 30% of the time yeah. doing things that are really growing the practice. If that was just one person, that would be, that'd be a challenge. Multiply yeah. that times seven or eight people. Now you're talking yeah. about seven or eight people, 30% of the time doing things that are actually going to grow and advance your business, 70% yes. of the time not. You do yeah. the math on that and you start thinking like, oh my gosh, like I'm like, we're not really optimized at all. And we think about that because I know yeah. right now a couple, there's some people listening to this call and they're thinking, hey, can you, uh, I got to do that experiment with the ding every, every 10 minutes. Like, <laughs> yeah. what, what's going on around here? You know, we got to do a week was, of that was, in our office really telling. right now. It was really yeah. telling. I mean, there's, there's, there's like two different ways that you can, you can look at it. You can say, okay, well, how can we, how can we, uh, if, if we can automate that stuff, if we can make that stuff happen like more, more effortlessly, then either we can reduce the number of staff we have, or we can have the staff we have spending more time talking chiropractic. But then it reaches a point where you've, there's only so many people that you need. There's only pe so many people you need in your team. And so we're actually able to do both of those. Yeah. So talk to us a little about what, what Spinal Logic is then. And then I have another question for you. Um, yeah, sure. So go ahead and tell us a little bit sure. about, so, so that sure. was the revolution. You discovered that and then you started solving it. So what, what did, how did Spinal Logic birth from that? Yeah, look, it sort of started as we like made, made some add-on tools to sort of patch on to the existing software that we had. And then we realized that was not, uh, it worked out pretty obvious. That was not going to be the best way to move forward. And then it was like, well, it can't be really that hard. Let's, let's like, uh, let's do our own software. That was a bit of a, uh, <laughs> I didn't realize how much work was involved. Here we are 20 years later um, and we're, we're still developing features and it's, we're still evolving. Um, but we got a, we got a pretty, th pretty thorough product that covers the vast majority of, of things that, that, uh, that people, well, 
I guess, administratively spend their time on. So we can take things from being something might take half an hour to reducing it down to a single click. I mean, a classic example would be would be the care program. When we started out with care programs, care programs, you couldn't do them in on a computer-based software very well at all. So we had a paper book and we had a, we had, we had a girl whose job was to put the care plans into the book. It would take her 30 minutes to put a 12-month care plan into the book. Now we click a button that's done in about, about 100 milliseconds, like the entire, the entire care plan. But it's not just like a series of appointments. It's like each of the, each of the, the, the like every, every 12th visit we go do a re-exam, every half visit we do some, some, some kind of special interaction with a patient, whether it's ceasing a Medanarol or it's like uh, reviewing their exercises, some kind of spe- special event with a patient. And then we could also synchronize in all of our, our marking events. So we can have the, the tick that is the prompt for the doctor at the table can be coordinated with the email that we sent home to them. It can be coordinated with the event that they're being stopped for on that particular day. So we can have all of that coordinated, templated out and mapped and applied to a, to a, new, to a, a, a given patient in, like I say, about 100 milliseconds, like tenth of a second. What used, to, what used to take half an hour, but even then, all it, then it was, was just appointments. So wow, it's, um, I mean, that, 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 that's, that, one, that one's been huge. Yeah, I mean, you're thinking about leverage. You think about you know not only leveraging a person's time, but just even all the other resources and all the other elements that are included in that, from the tick table side to the event promotion to reminders on coming up, progress names, re-exams to you know other calls to actions and things you could do that are actually all all driving in you know your business forward and hitting other KPIs that are in the business that we're looking at yeah. measuring, seeing measurable yeah. improvement on. This can influence that. As a CEO, we're always looking for leverage, right? And we're leveraging, right, in this case, technology, but the technology is aligned with your vision, mission, premise, purpose, and product. That's the product that you're yeah. delivering. You're saying, hey, yeah. this is going to help you deliver your product in a more remarkable way. And again, once once again, this is why we're aligned. This is why we have partnered and teamed up with you because that's exactly what it means to build a remarkable business, turn that job into that business using leverage. Correct. So powerful. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I love working with TRP for exactly that reason, because your values are so well aligned with precisely the reason that we created Spinalogic in the first place. So obviously, if you want to learn more, go to spinalogic.org. That's .org, yep. uh, spinalogic.org, and, uh, and learn more. It's pretty awesome stuff. But I want you to talk about something else you and I were, we were just talking about before we ended up pressing play and recording which is, I asked you, said, you know, how, how are things going right now? What's, what's going on in your business right now? And you shared some things that I felt also was really important for our, our audience to hear from you and just what you're up to these days. You've been in business for, for many years um, and you recognize certain things going on in your business world. So why don't you uh, share with us a little about what you're up to right now? Sure. So the thing that I'm really focused on at the moment is working on making sure that my, my businesses are in alignment with my, that my business purposes are in full alignment with my personal purpose and making sure that I'm really clear on what that personal purpose is, having my values clearly enunciated, having like a, a mission statement for my personal life clearly, clearly enunciated. I review that every morning. I go through that every morning. I meditate on that every morning. And then I spend time looking at my businesses and making sure that we've got, the, got at least aligned values. If not identical, they're very closely aligned values so that what I'm doing in my business is actually aligned with what I'm aiming to do with my life. Mm. And uh, that's something I spent time in the, in the past working on the values in, in, my, in my practice. And I got them really clear and, and then we, we built our practice around that. And then as we became successful and things became sort of easy, then a, a lot of things slipped away and we, beca- and we became, we, I, I guess it was more I than, than we, I became slack. And so then my team would obviously naturally follow my lead and I would become slack because we were fully booked and things were pretty easy in practice. So it didn't seem like I had to try, but then I realized that 
um, some of the outcomes that my patients were having, particularly around uh, like birthing outcomes, I guess is the one that's really caught my attention. And I'm seeing things happen. It's like, that doesn't need to happen if you understood how your body worked better. And I realized that I was falling short on, on educating with my patients. There's only so much you can do table side and without doing workshops where I, I actually pay attention to the, to the education, then that started, was starting to slip. And then I realized that I was actually acting outside of, outside of my values and then came full circle to realizing how important that was and I started building it back up again from sort of from the other side, instead of from the business out, more from the personal in back to the business. Wow. So powerful. And I wanted you to share that because I think for many of our, our listeners, you know, they're finding themselves maybe in a place of out, being out of alignment. Maybe they're not fully yeah. aligned with their purpose and their values. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important, like you said, you've established core values. You had done this before, but when was the last yeah. time you actually checked in with yourself? And you had said that there was, I asked you, I said, what was the sign or the symptom that you recognized that maybe this is something that needed to be addressed? Uh, and what, what was that, that you noticed? You said, this, cause you have multiple businesses, but what was it that you noticed yeah. that you, you know, this is something that's missing. We need to, we need to be addressing this at the root, at the core. Yeah. It was uh, a number, a number of patients at the moment that are, that are pregnant and having babies. And uh, I'm seeing them in the, in the hospitals that they're, they're all, they're all being told, oh, your baby, your baby's um, is too big for its age. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's as if it's a, the size, it was two weeks older than what it is. And I heard that the first time I was like, hmm. And then I realized I seem to be hearing it all the time. And so it's almost as if that's uh, the standard story that being, people are being told that their baby's too big. I'm wondering if they're measuring them against old charts from when people were smaller or from charts from overseas where, you know, where, where they got smaller populations or something. And then it's like, uh, oh, so then we had to have a C-section. And it's like, oh, why did you have to have a C-section? Oh, because I had a bicornual uterus. So how did you know you had that? Oh, because I had, a, had an ultrasound. So if you hadn't had the ultrasound, you wouldn't know you had the bicornual uterus. You're perfectly fine. You would never have had the C-section. And you probably would have had the natural delivery, but there was just like no consciousness around it at all. The, the, the natural was normal. And so, so natural is normal, I think is, is something that's, it's, that, that's really so important. And we as chiropractors have more opportunity to be able to educate pa our patients about that than probably anybody else in the community. In fact, I think definitely anybody else in our community. And yet that's not the direction that our society is going at the moment. And that's, uh, that's something that, where we can make a huge difference, but it's not going to happen unless we actually make the effort. You, unless you actually step up and put yourself out there and speak to the patients. That's good. Here you were using technology to create more space and time and energy to actually educate your patients. And you caught yourself actually not doing the very thing we designed this to be able to enable us to do, That's which exactly is interesting. Right. So guys, we have to listen, you know, CEOs that, you know, you can use leverage, you can leverage training, technology, coaching, all, amazing things. But if you lose sight of your ultimate purpose and the values and things that are the most important, that can still happen. And I appreciate Certainly you can. sharing that with all of us today, because I think all of us needed to hear that. I really believe this is going to land for, for some very specific people. This is, you know, Richard speaking to you, he's speaking to me right now about how important it is to stay true to your values and to be looking at the signs and symptoms of being off purpose. And that's a great example of just, hey, this is, this is incongruent with who we are we are the perfectly positioned to be the, the educators of the people in our community to save, you know, natural as normal. For example, you know, that that's a, a certain milestone in someone's journey in their life that could be so much better than what they're being told. And we are in the position to be able to influence that. So, um, and, and, I, and, I, and I got to say that the more that you're in alignment with the values, the more that you're clear on your values, then the more that you, 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 you read through them. And, the, and then some of them, like, they don't quite sit right. And you review them until, the, until they're really clear. It's like, yeah, I'm really aligned with that. The more that you do that, then the more you naturally do things that are in alignment with the values and, and the more effortless, effortless things be seem to become. It's just like you don't really try that hard and things just work out.
So Bruce, good. when you, I think, I think a real, a real key that you're not in alignment with your values is you're trying hard and yet things still aren't really working out. Things are still going wrong. Yeah. There's a alignment is, uh, is, is key here for, for growth and, uh, and, and to do it in a way that almost seems effortless, even though you do put a lot of effort and energy into actually being in alignment, there's this, there's that flow, that state we get into yes, where things exactly. begin coming to you and flowing through you. So exactly. Hey, it's, Doc, it's, it's the, the leverage point, the leverage point. I appreciate you. We're going to, that's a great space to, to stop with the leverage point being, being in alignment and having full congruency between your values, your vision and your behaviors. Uh, that, that to me is uh, is an awesome place for us to stop. So guys, we've been listening to uh, Dr. Richard Sawyer from Spinalogic, spinalogic.org.org. Check them out. And uh, let's see if we can turn your upside down situation right side up. If you're finding that 70% of the time people aren't doing the highest and best use of their time work, then let's get that turned around. Uh, check it out, spinalogic.org. Doc, thanks for being a remarkable success partner. Thank you for all your support and everything you're doing to help chiropractic chiropractors and TRP and helping our doctors be more remarkable CEOs. And uh, for all you who are listening, thanks for tuning into the show. Remember to tune in again next week for the Remarkable CEO Podcast next episode. Until then, take care, God bless, and be well, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Remarkable CEO Podcast. Remember, what the world needs now is chiropractic. And what chiropractic needs now is more successful chiropractors. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, share with a friend, and leave us a review. And if you'd like to connect with us personally, direct message us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. Now go and be remarkable.